read also in God's Word, Psalm 46. We'll be reading all of Psalm 46. To the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations He hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Amen. May God bless the reading of His own word and His word proclaimed shortly. And we come again in Psalm 46. And we hope to consider this psalm throughout this morning's message. Um, I want to read the first verse and then the, the last verse again to be fresh in our, in our hearing. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And verse 10 and 11. Be still and know. That I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. This has been called a song of holy confidence. Um, Many know this is the very psalm that um, inspired Luther to write the hymn, Our Mighty Fortress, which, which is based entirely upon this very psalm. In the world, nations and individuals have found their way to evade or to solve trouble. Rome gloried in all of its armies. The ancient Empire of China and its great walls that are even now still many of them standing. Babylon gloried in its gold 
and wealth. Egypt gloried in its pharaohs. But the believer glories in his God. Rome is no longer an empire and its armies have long faded away. The ancient walls of China are crumbling. I just read a report last week that there are many ruins being added to the ones that are already there. Babylon is a heap of ruins and all of the gold has been plundered in the neighboring museums maybe but even not all of its gold there and all of the pharaohs are gone but not the believer's God God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble A thousand years ago, 500 years ago, and in this very present hour, and if we live to be 10 years older, 20, 50, however many days this world has, this psalm will be true. And what we hope to do this morning is see the several elements that that this psalm um, provides us. It, it gives us the help, the, just the reality of the help that we have in God, and that will be our first point. And then it's, it's very realistic, even, even to some people, they would think there's an exaggeration, but not for the person who's suffering, not for the person who has an affliction. These words will be very good. The trouble This psalm presents the trouble that may assail us. And then we find the peace. This is, in essence, the the, the result of the power of of God, the help that He gives. We, We find this peaceful reality that is possible for the people of God. And then there will be a proof. It is not just empty promises. There are elements of proof that this is who God is. And in all of Scripture and the history... That, that God's word is even um, speaking of and interpreting to us is, is a witness to us that this is true. The help that we find of God in the troubles that we have in this world truly gives the peace that this psalm promises. And then the last part is the praise because it's the most obvious thing to do. And, and that's where we see, in a sense, an application, what we do with all this that this psalm provides. So first of all, the help. Um, and, and we find this help being provided in, in three words. There are three um, promises of help. All of them mean the same thing. All of them mean um, the, the presence of God Himself and, and His attributes and His person. But the first word that we have is the word refuge. He is your refuge. This is how the psalm begins. God is our refuge. And like I mentioned about these great nations, they, they all have their structures and they glory greatly in them. Um, today, even though cities may not have walls, they have weapons 
and they glory in them. They, they have glory in their walls, their castles, their fortified cities. Nowadays, we see how the nations speak in terms of, of the armies that they have and the nuclear arsenal that they have. But see, this text is speaking of Jehovah as a suitable and sufficient protection for them. God as a refuge, we, we could say, a shelter. And, and this is a common designation in, in Old Testament scriptures and, and very, um, very precisely in Psalms. In all of the Old Testament, 94 times God is spoken of as a refuge, as one in whom we find protection. Boys and girls, there's, there's a picture here for you, for, for you and for all of us who need these pictures. It's the picture of a castle. It's the picture of, of a very solid rock and then... Um, upon that rock is built a gigantic castle such as the world has never known, a castle that will never fall down, a castle that will never catch on fire, a castle that the armies, even if they were to encircle, it would do nothing to those who are inside of that castle. Or a little bit of the picture can be a cave where the refuge is inside that cave and the armies could go after you, but they will get lost in all of the corridors and holes and they'll never find you if you're hidden in God. God is our refuge. Forty-four times He's called our refuge in the book of Psalms. And here's some examples. Psalm 9.9, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. That was Psalm 9.9. But then Psalm 62.7, In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Psalm 61.3 For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. When there were wars and battles, the people in the country would retreat into the fortified cities and the nobles in the cities and whoever had um, the privilege would recede to the castles and then those who were the most noble would recede to the towers. And that would be their final protection. But you may have heard stories of how the enemies would come and just set fire at the base of that tower. And in no time at all, everybody was killed. And the tower would turn from a place of refuge to becoming more like a chimney. And where was the safety? See, all of the human structures are not suitable. They have helped kings of the, of the past but never perfectly. But God is a strong tower. Psalm 62, um, Jeremiah also. Jeremiah 60, 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth. See, come unto thee. God is that refuge and we come unto him. He's He's put into that picture and shall say surely our fathers have inherited lies vanity and things wherein there is no profit see jeremiah speaking of gentiles who leave their fortified cities and their human protections and then when they find jehovah they realize 
This is our true protection. Everything before, behind us were lies and it didn't protect us. See, the world builds these fortifications and their philosophies and their way of viewing life. It doesn't have to be a structure or a palace. It can be science. It can be a philosophical belief of the afterlife. And, and they find a protection in there for a little while. But they're lies. They're not true. And it will dismantle. So God is our refuge. And boys and girls, what does that mean? That means that we hide in Him. Think of, think of when you're playing hide and, and seek. And you look for somewhere where no one can find you. And imagine if you had enemies chasing you. It's not a game anymore. And you want to be hidden. Well, in, in this psalm, trouble is also, in a sense, being personified as an enemy. If God is our refuge and trouble is out there, it's like trouble is a big enemy coming after you and you hide in God because He's your fortress and that enemy will not find you there. He will not be able to bring you out. We, we have a moment in the Bible where we see David having to flee from, from Saul and, and very truthfully, Saul was his trouble it wasn't trouble personified. It was a person. It was Saul with his armies chasing after David. And what did David have to do? He had to die, hide. And, and that's where many of these psalms were born out of. A man who had to hide. And, and he hid in caves. And he hid in fortified cities. And you'll remember that day that David was inside a cave. And, and the trouble that was coming after him entered that cave. And, and you would say, well, there, that, that trouble came very near to David. It did, didn't it? But what did David do? He was not found by that trouble. It was that trouble that was, in a sense, in danger of his own life. Because David was safe in God. And he was able to approach Saul even so close as to cut the skirt of his garment and later wave it and show to Saul. And in essence, he was saying, Saul, your life was in my hand and I preserved you. And when you, when you look at that passage and put it in the prospect of this, of this psalm, you think of the, the troubles of this world. They, they are like, like enemies that would come and assail you and torment you. Maybe, maybe to help you think, well, you're suffering so much because of your sins. This is what you deserve. Or, or it's persecution. And so it's really people wanting to take you out of this world because they hate you. And Satan is behind those, those persecutors. And, and this trouble is assailing. It's a great affliction if you hide in God it will not find you to torment you and it's very much the opposite you will be used in this world to to torment him you think how all of those in the in the devil's army who would have assailed a heart to be full of depression and full of sadness. If you know that death is coming, that is not easy for the dying nor for those who are contemplating that. And Satan, if he would have his way, he would have everyone in despair. But when the believer comes forth out of the cave, as it were, we can wave to the very enemy 
the tokens that God has been protecting you. They're the taunted ones now. That's what David did to Saul. And you can be certain that there are those watching, even from the dark world, who have tried their temptations, who have tried their despair tactics, but they have seen when you believe in one who is a bulwark, they will not win the day. This happens, beloved. We, we, we have the book of Job and we see how Satan contemplates us and considers before God that the only reason we probably serve God is because of the great things we receive from God. If God were to take all these things away, we would blaspheme God and we would flee Him. But that didn't happen to Job because God was his refuge. So not only unbelievers and believers are watching, but even even devils are watching. And they they are confounded. God as our refuge. And then secondly, He is our strength. It's the very next word. God is our refuge and strength. It's it's tied right together. This word strength can even be translated as, as a refuge and as a protection because it can be given to that understanding, but it has the idea of power and of might. So it, it's not just hiding behind. You could think of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a garment as something that could hide you, but it's not that kind of hiding place. It's, it's a strong one. It's a mighty one. And so he not only shelters you, but he also strengthens you. So this is power in the protection. It's a rock that is mighty. It is, that's why I gave you the vision of a, of a castle that is so powerful that, that you, you remember how they would come with those battering rams to try to hurt that door, to try to get into the castle. As powerful as the enemy would try to batter the doors of the castle who is God. And if you are hid in him, it is so strong, it will never penetrate. And if there is any kind of entrance like Saul into the cave, it is not Saul who hurts David. It is David who can hurt Saul. When we are safe In God's protection, there is this power, there is this strength. And then notice this reality that with both of these designations of refuge and protection, it is in Him. This this is an astonishing, powerful reality. Um, It would be powerful enough if God were to were to send you into a refuge and protect you there and give you strength that you would have strength yourself. But that is not what the text is saying or or even to send someone to be your help, like to put an angel in front of your door or to to bring a Moses to your life or a prophet. God has strengthened His church in this way. He has sent um, many forms of help. He has sent angels. He has sent prophets. He has sent promises. He, He sent birds. We think of Elijah, how he was fed from that bird that brought him um, bread <clears throat> throughout that famine. He sent a fish for Jonah when he was in the water. But it's not God here promising that He will send a, a mediator kind of help. 
It is Him. God is our refuge and strength. It is His person. It is His being. This means that we find strength in who God is. We find strength in His love. We find strength in His grace, in His mercy, in His eternity, in in His person. See, it's in His being. Um, And trouble always has an effect to weaken us. Um, It drains our strength. When we think of sickness, it it is precisely what it's doing. It is physically making us weak. Afflictions can make us spiritually tired, but the text is saying God is our refuge and strength. He gives us what we need in times of trouble. And and this too, not only the thought of refuge, but also the thought of strength is, is in the Bible and in the Psalms given to us to be sung in Psalm 18.1. We read, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. See, not the giver of strength. He does that too. But we can say, Lord, thou art my strength. See, this is the idea that he's the one doing the battle. He's the one sustaining. He's the one actually active in a, in a real meaning way that, that makes sense. Um, when you think of David again in that, in, that, in that illustration, he's there cutting. Even David there wasn't exercising much of strength, but it was the Lord being his strength. It was the Lord. Have you ever wondered how, how, how Saul never heard? He never noticed there was that other event. He was sleeping. And, and we do understand that God kept everybody asleep. God made it where they didn't hear anything. God made it possible for David to get so close as to cut those pieces of, 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 the, of, the, of the skirt or even get the weapon of Paul and wave it, of Saul and wave it later. See, God, God was his strength. It was his person. Psalm 37, 39. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble and the third way by which God shows his help not only being a refuge being a strength but also in being present and this is the thought that is mostly in the text in terms of repetition again and again we hear and we read of God being near verse 5 God is in the midst of her she shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early because he's there. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. In the very last verse, the Lord of hosts is with us. Now, beloved, the reason this is important is to understand that what God is saying here is that he will help you not from far away, It's not that He will help you by giving you the weapons to fight, and in a sense you're on your own, but He helps you. And it's not even in the sense that He will be just right beside you, giving you some instructions, and yet you need to do the work. Because we've already seen, He is our strength. He is our strength because He's so present with us. He's with us. 
And Spurgeon says this, He never withdraws himself from his afflicted. He is their help, truly, effectually, constantly. He is present or near them, close at their side, and ready for their succor. And this is emphasized by the word very. He is more present than friends or relative can be, yea, more nearly present than even the trouble itself. The trouble is present. I love how Spurgeon puts it. God is more present than that trouble is present because of his promise. One, One Puritan author, commentator, David Dixon says, Albeit the Lord will not exempt his people from trouble, yet he will be near them in time of trouble. This is a very important promise because many believers start fretting and start wondering and even start doubting God because they remain in their afflictions and they think, well, if I'm in it, then God is not listening. God must be far. Well, see, God never promised that there will be no affliction. So we never have reason to think something is going wrong because there's affliction. The promises that are repeated again and again in the Bible is that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The promises are, I will be with you. He never, actually, he promises that if the world hated him, it will also hate you. That's the promise. Affliction, when it comes, is part of a reality. It shouldn't surprise us. Especially if it comes in terms of persecution. Because we're surrounded by people who don't love the Lord. Why do we suppose they have reason to love us if we love the Lord? But the promise then is, I'm with you. And remember what Spurgeon said. He's with you in a more realistic way, in a more powerful way, than even that trouble is with you. So great is His presence with you. And that too is promised in the Word in other places. In Deuteronomy 4, 7, For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? No nation has their gods near to them because none of those gods are even real. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus and you are part of God's people, God is near to you more than any nation can ever boast of nearness of their God. In Psalm thirty-four, eighteen, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Uh, what I love about this verse is here, if your heart is so broken that you don't even have the words to pray, but you are a child of God, He is near you already. It is not based on you asking for Him to be near. It is based upon the affliction that you already have. The very thought that your heart is broken qualifies you for God to be near you. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. This is, of course, a child of God. But it may be someone who's converting that very moment. And it's his first moment of, of, of being contrite and saying, Lord, I, 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 I realize I'm a great sinner and I need a Savior. 
that contriteness of heart that, of course, is God-given, but it's the right thing that all of us should have makes it where He is nigh unto you. That, that's even why you're contrite. It was His closeness that began to break your heart. So this of the help. And let me, let me go on to the trouble. The trouble is described in all these words. Um, if I put them all together, we, we, we read of the earth being removed. We hear of mountains being carried to the sea. These are, these are um, like earthquakes. It could be like the idea of a volcanic eruption. That's when a mountain, in a sense, is carried. Um, the water's roaring. That's almost the thought of a tidal wave or of a hurricane. The mountains shaking with the swellings thereof. These are the descriptions. This is what I meant that some could look at that and say, wow, these, these seems, seem like hyperbolic. These seem like exaggerations. But beloved, when you are in affliction, you feel like the earth is removing. You feel like an earthquake is happening to your heart. You feel like your mind is going through a volcanic eruption. We can think of three quick things when we see this description that God is giving. First, how seriously God takes your troubles. Because this is Holy Scripture. It is inspired by God. And it's God, in a sense, saying what He thinks of the turmoil that you may be going through. This is God describing the troubles in your heart. This is God saying, I know it might be that you're feeling as if the earth is removed. I know you're going through a moment as if there's a hurricane in your heart. I know that you're going through... The, and, and then think of people who are in the path of a hurricane and, and very literally in an earthquake and even situations that are troublesome in the physical sense. And God is saying, those things can happen. I understand the seriousness of trouble. And then add to that that this shows the compassion of God regarding your trouble. Have you, have you noticed that there are times that you try to describe your trouble to someone, but you can tell that they're not thinking it's that serious? Because, see, they're outside of that hurricane of your heart. See, beloved, none of us, if you've gone or if you were in that hurricane in Florida... Obviously, your perspective of that happening is a greater dimension in your heart than in any one of us because we've only seen it through pictures or a few clips and it's not the same thing as being there. And then there's a second degree that if we were all to take a bus and go there to help those people and we see the devastation, it would add to our experience, but it would still not be the same as those who saw the roof of their home being swept away. And when we hear people speak of their experiences, our minds are, by necessity, minimizing because we don't have the tangible experiences of sound and sight, of touch that they do. And isn't it that with your troubles? Raise the hand of your heart if you haven't once explained a trouble and you've seen an eye that didn't seem compassionate. 
what God is doing right now is looking at you as it were in the eye and saying, your heart may be experiencing the earth removed as if mountains are shaking to the point they're no more. There's not a word that you could say about your trouble to God that He would minimize because He's put your trouble into these words. See, it shows, I know it's serious and I have compassion. You are hurting and I am hurting with you. That's what God is saying in this psalm. And then a third thought. How much greater God is than your troubles. Because He's the one divinely um, describing the trouble that may come to your heart. And yet He's the one who, whom the very text says, Therefore will not we fear. See, though these things happen, God knows you might experience shattering situations that are to this degree of troubleness that your world is falling apart. And yet, see, if God is your refuge, if He is your strength, you will have His present help and you will not fear though all these things happen because God is greater. He takes seriously the troubles that you're going through and He's telling you, and don't worry because I'm greater than all of those. You don't have to fear them. I will protect you. I'll take care of you. Trust me. That about the troubles. And thirdly, um, about the peace. These, these next points are, are very quickly as we just go through the psalm. Why I say the peace? Because all of a sudden, you notice this in the text, there's even a sila <clears throat> after, after it spoke of, of this great turmoil that is in essence like a scene of that, that's... that's um, gigantic, you're thinking of hurricanes, you're thinking of earthquakes, there's the mountains that are shaking, and all of a sudden a sila that always indicates a a change of pace, a pause. In verse 4 we read, there is a river. Right there, there's a calm. I don't view this as a a white water rafting kind of river. No, it's, it's there is a river. The very next word speaks of calmness. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. That's the peace. This is, this is the result of God as our help. And when we have two two phrases there that are very connected. The the river, right? The river is the essence of this peace, this river that meanders through this city and, and it seems to give life to that city. It refreshes that city. It gives food for that city. It gives calmness to that city. Think if you were in one of those cities that were being besieged from the outside and and the enemy was out there. That's where the trouble is. The the mountains are roaring. There is like an earthquake there. They're battering the gates. But in your city, there is a city that me there's a river that meanders through and it's giving water for the city. And it's making where you can plant things in a city and cultivate things. So no matter how long the siege lasts, you have water and you have food. 
This is the sense. This is the picture that we have. That turmoil is out there, but there's a city. And there's a river. There's life. There's gladness. You can imagine people on the outskirts of the city, they're hearing the battering rams, they're hearing what's going on, but they walk to the center of the city and everybody's rejoicing, they're celebrating, they're cultivating the land, they're, they're swimming in the river. There's joy. And who, what is this? What is this river? Well, the very text explains, verse 5, God is in the midst of her. See, that is the river. It's God. In, in, in Jeremiah 2.13, God is called a fountain of living waters. In Zechariah 13.1, in reference to Jesus, we read, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And remember how the Lord Jesus, in reference to the Holy Spirit, He said in John 7.38, He that believeth on Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that's a reference not just to our own life, but the life we have in the Spirit. Because that's the source of life in any believer. So it's the Lord. It's, it's the Lord's presence. So, so we, we saw that His help was His presence, and we see now the peace that that presence brings. But let me go on to our first point, the fourth point, the, the proof. It's a beautiful scenery, and you think, is that really possible with those hurricanes out there, with those armies that are battering the walls? When It's just a matter of movement, and they're going to come in and assail my life. All, all of these rumors out there of, of, of the sin and temptation that's trying to assail me, or it could be sickness that's trying to make you weak and despair and think that there's no more hope, or it can be persecution, coming, people coming after you. See, the world has all of these troubles. Can there really be this peace inside? And God will give us a proof. And he begins it in verse 6. He says, The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. See, the, the heathen, the enemies of God, can be doing whatever they want to assail that poor little town. But God needs but open his voice and they melt. What God is doing here is showing, I've done these things before. Just believe me. Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations He hath made in the earth. And, and you would think that this would speak of the wars God has waged. But it's the very opposite. He will speak of His power to end wars. Because this is the view. See, it's, it's the, the, the main picture here before us is of this town with big um, um, walls with, with all the turmoil outside because the enemies are trying to come in. And so there's a war, a battle against that town. And, and so God is saying, I'm the river, I'm producing life. I'm, I'm your refuge, I'm your strength, and I will fight for you. I'm the Lord of hosts. I have an army. I just need to speak. Those armies will melt. And look, verse 9 is the same idea of that war ceasing. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. Wherever those wars may be, He has the power to stop them. He breaks the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. 
And beloved, we're, we're living in days where we're being given the reality in a sad way to see that truly it is very hard to end wars. It is dangerous to try to end them. Powerful nations who thought they were powerful are being made to see their lack of power, the insignificance of their power to end a war. It's very easy to start a war. It's very hard to end a war. And you put yourself in that little city with those armies round about, not allowing friendly armies to come and help you. You're, you're just counting the days. How much longer can we hold this siege? Well, there is a river. We have food. We have people. God is the one who can end that war. He makes wars to cease. He's done that very literally in the history of Israel. But beloved, you know what battle is the greatest battle that was fought that Jesus made to end, caused to end. It's the battle of the heart of unbelief or the heart of the unbeliever. If you are an unbeliever, or everyone who is an unbeliever is waging war against God. And God has power to make that war to cease. He needs but speak a word, and that war ends. The bow of sin is broken, the spear of unbelief is cut in sunder, the chariot of a hard heart is burned in the fire. And out flows a heart of flesh, a new disposition, faith, repentance, joy, and peace. And that is one more heart who can believe in this God and what turmoil comes to your soul, you can trust and you can be certain you will be well. A great reason why many people who perhaps say they're believers do not believe in these things, do not see these things in their life. It's because they're still even outside of the city of God. They're even part of the enemy because they're not saved. If, if you're not saved, you are waging war against God. And that's why you don't experience God as a river making the heart of your soul glad. But when you are a believer... You can even hear the armies out there. But all will be well in your soul. Because you, you are protected by this God. And this is the last point, the praise. This is, in essence, the, the application of the whole passage. And in verse 10, be still and know. What do you do with all this that you have learned? That there are um, these troubles, that God is this help, that, that there is the possibility of this peace. We, we saw the proof of what God does. What do you do with all of this? Well, you are to be still and know that I am God, God says. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. It is praise. 
if there will be exaltation, well, let me begin to exalt. Let me praise the Lord. Even in the midst of the trouble, even in the midst of the turmoil, I will praise Him because I know that I can trust Him. Now, there are, there are three commands in this whole passage. The first command is in verse 8 that comes like an imperative, what you and I are supposed to do. It's, it's, it's very beautiful. It's, it's nothing hard. It's not about going out and doing anything. It causes no sweat or labor. Look at verse 8. Come, behold. That's the first command. That means to look. Behold the works of the Lord. What desolations He has made. Well, I spent a few moments talking about some of the things God has done. Have in your mind the, the, the Red Sea opening and all of Pharaoh and Egypt and all the plagues the destruction of a, of a whole nation and think of all those days where Sennacherib was besieging Israel and there was one word and they were melted. There was once where he had to retreat to go fight another war. There were other wars where they woke up, everybody was dead because of a plague or, or because they were fighting with one another. God has done these desolations. So behold those things. Just look at them. That's not hard to do. You can do that just in the hearing of this sermon. You're beholding them. But you understand, behold them with the eye of faith. Like, look at those things and think, that is who God is. Well, I have all these troubles round about me, and and I, I can just behold the things that God has done. And then what do you do? Look at the next command, verse 10. Be still. That's a command. Be still. It's basically saying, don't worry. Stop going from place to place. Stop stop just biting your fingernails. Stop thinking of what you need to do and who you need to call. Just be still. Just calm down. Again, that's not... This is amazing, right? It's, It's not... It's completely easy to do because there's no exertion, there's no money, there's no sweating. But you'll agree with me, it's the hardest thing in the whole entire world because of our humanity. We, we think we need to do something. We, we think we need to go grab someone, somebody. God is saying, just stop. Be still. So behold, be still. And the third command, and know that I am God. Again, nothing to sweat about. Where's the merit in simply knowing? You spend no money on this? No. Again, just by hearing this sermon, you're knowing something. But this is an evangelical no. It is not just a head knowledge. You need to be still and know. Hidden in this word is trust. And entrust your life to this God who is a refuge, who is your strength. Stop thinking you have any strength. Stop thinking other people have any strength. Just be still and know that I am God. And praise Him. If the nations round about you are doing this, then praise Him. Thank Him. Glorify Him. Trust in Him. Trust in King Jesus. Hide in the Lord Jesus. May He be your peace. May the Holy Spirit be this river in your life. 
may God be this fountain of living waters. This is the only explanation of a soul with turmoil described as God's Word does, knowing that your life is about to end, but you're still. It's when God is your refuge and your strength and you know He is near. Let us pray. Our gracious, glorious God, we pray that Thou would be this refuge and this strength and this God who is near to all those who in their human experience, Lord, are as if the earth has been removed, as if the waters are roaring and are troubled, and the mountains of their heart and of their soul are shaking with the swelling thereof. Lord, even in the simple thought of missing a loving husband and father and brother or son, Lord, that this may be a season in which we would behold Thy works, Thy person, that we would be still and that we would know that Thou art God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll be